After that music, we could go home. <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I shared at the first service, I credit my high school senior English teacher for any career I've ever had because she made sure all of her students knew how to write before they left her. I would imagine that teachers never have an idea of the impact they have on lives and on the children that come through their care, so please uh, accept my deep gratitude uh, as long for your blessing and the gift that you are. And, Rick Sheets is in the house. Woohoo! Many of you know that Rick is the recipient of a heart transplant, and he's being careful with his germs, only elbow bumps today. Uh, but what a great thing to have you and Joanne with us this morning. Our scripture lesson is found in Hebrews. Chapter 11, beginning at verse 29 and ending in chapter 12 with verse 2. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in battle, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tortured, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all of these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, 
and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Would you pray with me? Bless, O Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. O Lord, our rock, our only strength, and our redeemer. Amen. Craig and I had a wonderful vacation in the Grand Teton Mountains and Yellowstone National Park. But I never expected to get a church history lesson on a float tour. (laughs) Honest to goodness, the guide was telling us as we came down the river and noticed beaver lodges that Thomas Aquinas, the one along with Anselm and Abelard gave us the doctrine of atonement, also in the 1200s was responsible for classifying animals according to their anatomy and their environment. He's also responsible for not eating meat in Lent. He said that red meat, which was so rare at the time, was just too delicious, and it made us too prone to debauchery. (laughs) Which may be why we're Protestants. Anyway, in the 1700s, the Bishop of Quebec discovered our waterways were filled with these things called beaver. And he wondered if during the rigors of Lent, according to Aquinas, that thing lived and swam in water, and so it was fish. So he declared that you could have beaver and chips or a beaver sandwich during Lent. Now I asked the guide, I said, have you ever eaten beaver? I said, can you eat it? And he said, well, yes, but it is kind of fishy. We are a mixed bag of faith and flaw, grace and broken humanity. And if you don't believe it out of that illustration, you just check the scripture. (laughs) The Hebrew church was feeling very dehumanized and, and demoralized and discouraged under the Roman oppression. The author makes every effort for us to get it 
that we are, as people of faith, following in the footsteps for all of biblical times in those who were unsure of themselves and unsure of what the future would hold and imminently gifted and flawed. In the verses of our lesson, there's a whole litany that by faith are described as incredible. But that Gideon, the one who led the Israelite army to defeat the Midianites, also said when God called him, excuse me, you mean me? He asked God with the audacity of one not afraid of lightning to give him a sign. Barak refused to go to battle without Deborah at his side. The judge, Deborah, especially if she in the end was going to get all the credit. Samson, for all of his superhuman strength, doesn't come off as so bright. He dies making that point by letting Delilah cut his hair. Jephthah, though described as the mightiest of warriors, essentially traded the life of his only child, his daughter, to be successful in battle. David, of course, the ideal king, also had the remarkable ability to commit adultery and arrange for the death of Bathsheba's husband. And poor Rahab, my goodness, for all the, the gifts she gave to the people of Israel, they cannot mention that woman without saying she was a prostitute. <laughs> Having identified these pillars of faith and their achievements, it says they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched fires, escaped the sword, and put foreign enemies to flight. And then there were the others. A very hard contrast follows. Hebrews refers to the others who were tortured, who refused to accept release, Others suffering, mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. Those who were stoned to death, sawn in two, left destitute and persecuted, leaving them to wander in deserts and mountains and caves and living in holes. And yet, it says, their faith remained. All of them, and I do mean all of them were commended for their faith. But the scripture goes on to say that none of them received what was promised. And you and I are left wondering, what on earth does that mean? The long and short of it is that Hebrews would have us understand that faithfulness Faithfulness does not determine our outcome. 
We human folks just don't like that risk. We, like Paul Harvey, would want to know the rest of the story before we get started. It only takes a little experience in life to know that prosperity and blessing are not automatic to those who are good or who believe. Sometimes we'll be good and sometimes we'll not. As the scripture says, it rains and shines on the just and the unjust alike. And yet, Hebrews encourages us with this daunting charge to run with perseverance the race set before us, looking to Jesus. No assurances, no magic crystal ball that shows us how it comes out. We are simply given a list of the great cloud of witnesses, real, simple, broken, faithful people, who loved God and trusted the plan to be in God's hand. Those who kept running when it all worked out and for those who seemed to lose in the bargain, they trusted God without a preconceived notion of what God's plan had to look like. They would live into it. Another thing about our float trip is in the early part of the tour, we saw an eagle's nest. Lots of bald eagles and, and osprey and golden eagles, just fabulous birds. But this, this one nest looked a little worse for the wear. And he says, do you see that nest? Yes, yes. He said, well, the pair of eagles that had that nest, when their eaglets were to fledge or to fly didn't. Does that sound interesting to you? They wouldn't fly. And so a week after they were supposed to fly, the eagle parents quit feeding them. And they still wouldn't fly. So the next week they started taking the nest apart. You've got to fly. We've got to run the race. Win or lose for the sake of our Christ until we leave this nest. We were born in the image of God, born to be about building the kingdom, born to run a race. I did not say win, I said run it. We are supposed to be about flying and learning what it takes to live as God's children. So what is it that prevents us from being more faithful or determined than we are sometimes? Well, one, I think it's a failure of vision. It is so incredibly hard to see ourselves as a part of God's larger historic plan, which includes all of God's people. 
This is a marathon. So much less about winning it is than it is about running and handing the baton on to the next generation. Scripture's great cloud of witnesses both proclaim the story of our faith but also expectantly awaits for those running to endure after us and the generation after that. Hebrews simply challenges us to get rid of anything that would trip us up from recognizing it's our turn. We do that by focusing on the ultimate runner of the race, the one who created the race of faith, and the only one who has reached its perfect end, awaiting us. Jesus, it says, endured an excruciating death and did not let the shame of what looked like failure to those who witnessed his crucifixion keep him from doing so for the joy he knew that awaited there would be no future for any of us without his loss. For was not his loss the reason we have gained? We're short-sighted. Forty years ago, I did my pastoral care training at Children's Hospital on the scoliosis ward you know, where the curvature of the spine is corrected? Well, back then, there was a week they would go in your back, and they told me, I don't know if this is true or not, but they said the doctor literally hammered the rods down the spine. The next week, they would crack the chest open and deflate along and do it from the front. Then they would put you in a full-body cast of plaster, for nine months, flat on your back. Can you imagine even trying to sit up and what your head would do just to sit up after all of that? Fast forward 40 years. Now they do the surgery in a day, they fit you in a removable clamshell brace, and they have you walking the next day. Forty years ago, it was the way it was done, and now that process is archaic. What makes us think that our faith is somehow different, that we don't have to learn to live into it in new ways with each age and time and circumstance? If we can imagine be a, being a part of God's plan, we can run that race and find our faith. The journey will keep us on our knees, I hope, because I believe that the challenge of our vision is that we don't live enough on our knees in order to understand that God is in everything every time, every place. A lack of vision. Then I think we have a failure of imagination. The focus in our text is primarily on Jesus 
humanity. Hebrews' intent is to present Jesus' suffering and death not as a sacrifice for our sin or that atonement we were talking about, but as his solidarity with all of us as human beings. Having endured the shame, suffering, and brutality of this life, therefore look to him for the strength to run this race. In other words, get rid of anything that would trip you up, the author commands. With the cloud of witnesses around you, keep your eyes before you on the ultimate runner, the one who created the race of fate, and the only one who reaches its perfect end. And then figure out why you can't imagine that you are part of this race that matters. It's a question that is relevant in every time and in every age. Would you cue my little video? The word survivor seems especially fitting. Push, push, push. When describing Ray Chavez, Keep breathing. an unlikely gym rat who's defined his age. May I ask, how old are you now? 104. He first became a survivor that December morning in 1941. I can't forget it, and I will. Chavez was in the Navy station at Pearl Harbor when the bombing started. I got a big more than that day. There were so many innocent people that were lost. Chavez often returns to Hawaii to honor those who died. And tapping it over. But at 104, could he possibly be in any shape to make the long trip again? You get Hawaiian shirts already, Rick? Oh, yeah. yeah. The answer is yes. Three years ago, he started working out with trainer Sean Thompson, putting on 20 pounds of much-needed muscle. Nice. When they say, I'm too old to do this or that, I say, no, look at Ray. You know, you can't, that excuse doesn't fly anymore. <laughs> with help from his gym and Alaska Airlines, Chavez got a first-class ticket for the six-hour trip. He arrived over the weekend. A welcome, worthy of a hero. When you're 109, maybe you'll go to the 80th oh, yeah. anniversary. Yeah. If I can walk, I'll go. <laughs> the oldest known Pearl Harbor survivor is devoted as ever to the country he served. Joe Fryer, NBC News. I'm going to get a gym membership this week. <laughs> of us. I mean, what a witness of this sweet man that you always have something to contribute. And that we think, because we think we can't, we won't try. If we can't imagine being a part of God's plan, you can be sure it won't happen. Then I think we have a failure of language. Are not our failures often more failures of the language which has a deficit and belies our good intentions and goodwill? As a result, we resort to short-sighted solutions which we can't articulate in a better way. Josh Linkner of the Detroit Free Press invites us to swap two words in our vocabulary. 
As the competitive nature of our world continues to increase and success and running the race well becomes more elusive and our rhetoric with each other becomes more hateful. He says that the most common element of those that sees extraordinary results has little to do with their college background, where they went to school, their age, their gender, their race, anything else, not even their hometown. When looking deeper into those who move us forward in this life, they tend to embrace core philosophies that swap out two words in our vocabulary. Can't is replaced by yet. Carol Dweek, best-selling author and leading researcher in the field of having a growing mindset, shares the incredible power of the word yet. Those with a fixed mindset mean they believe people either have the talent and ability or they don't, and therefore they quit when success isn't achieved at the first attempt. In contrast, those with a growth mindset believe that persistence, resilience, and tenacity are the stuff of champions. You just look at Barb Frazier. By simply replacing the word can't with yet, you open up the prospect of growing into a desired outcome rather than a given first sign of adversity. So what is the something you've been thinking you cannot possibly influence or achieve for the better? Where could you add the word yet to the mix in order to liberate the potential and time and the great race in which we participate? The second word to change is we give up have to and say we get to. A close friend of Linkner's wife tragically learned that her young son was suffering from brain cancer. Before the health crisis happened, her daily responsibilities, such as going to work and running to the grocery and changing diapers, felt like half-to chores. And yet when her son was able to kick cancer, she undoubtedly relished each task with a new sense of gratitude. She was grateful she got to pay the bills, to do the taxes, realizing that the freedoms we have to do our daily work is a privilege and a gift. It is a holy race. And we get to run it. Think about it, my friends. We have yet to figure out terrorism. But as people of faith, we get to work toward a day when mental health is available to the troubled persons of the world. 
We have yet to banish hatred between races and cultures and classes, but we get to be living examples of the kingdom. We get to show the world what God's love looks like. We have yet to figure out immigration, but we get to in a way that can encompass both compassion and empathy and be responsible stewards of this country's resources. We have yet to care for all the things that are hurting our world, but we get to run the race knowing that Jesus is with us. We have yet to live like Jesus. And yet we get to run the race with a great cloud of witnesses who continue to pass the baton on, growing and loving and carrying our way to the end of the race so that the next generation will pick it up and run too. Can you see it? Can you imagine yourself as a great part of this race? It isn't finished yet, but we get to be a part of that great cloud who follow the one who made it all possible. This, my friends, is a sacred journey. And you are a part of those running it. Just see it. Believe it's possible. And give up those words that keep you from being a part of it. Amen. Would you join me in our closing hymn?